I literally just yelled out to my husband from across the house, how am I going to start this podcast? His advice came in the form of a question. He said, what would you say if you walked into a room of your friends? So yeah, that's where we're starting. Hey, party people. Welcome to my first podcast. Okay, so listen, I want to get a few disclaimers out of the way. Number one, I don't know what I'm doing. Number two, this feels really awkward. And number three, I'm doing it anyway. I'm going to get to an introduction of myself in a second, but I kind of just want to start with the real stuff immediately because I want to keep this show 100. I want to be holy myself, but this requires a level of transparency that to be honest, I am not really used to. It'd be best to start at the beginning, but since I'm totally unprofessional and really complicated, let's start in the middle. Like right now, here, today, we're in the middle of this podcast. On August 20th, 2019, I sent an email to my newsletter list and it was the first time I admitted publicly that I was going to start a podcast. Okay, so real talk, on one hand, I was really excited to bring people on in the journey. And on the other emaciated hand, I dreaded the fact that I was totally accountable to like starting a podcast. So before I share a very candid recording that I had with my personal mentor, where he gives me an, an emotional kick in the butt. Yes, it is actually embarrassing to share, but that is coming soon. So hang on. Okay, so before I share that recording, I'm going to read the newsletter I sent so you know how I felt in August, which could be how you might be feeling today, or perhaps you've experienced this before. So this is going to lay the framework and the foundation, so here we go. As a kid, I'd write letters to myself and stuff them in a folder like a paper-filled time capsule. As an adult, I do the same, but I think it's weird, so I don't talk about it. Well, I don't talk about it until now. For a year, I knew I wanted to host my own podcast, but I let things get in the way. I don't know how to do it. I'm so busy. Would anyone even listen to it? Does the world need yet another podcast? I could keep listing excuses, but they boil down to one really pesky thing. Fear. I hate admitting this, but it's true. I'm just afraid to put it out in the world. In December 2018, my mentor challenged me to be courageous enough to exchange fear for fun. Could I give myself the permission to have fun as I explore new challenges and learn a new skill? Nine months later, I decided to stop making excuses and start having fun. Today is the day. But here's the thing. This note isn't about me or my wannabe podcast. This is about us. Can we together decide to trade fear for fun? Today, I'm setting up a mic and testing my new podcast. I'll probably make mistakes, sound ridiculous, and get lost, but I'm promising to act like Elsa, the Disney princess, and let it go. I was going to sing it, but mm, let's not go there. So do you want to join me? Are you ready to try something new and have fun along the way? If so, let me know. The team and I read every email, so we'd love to hear from you and root you on along the way. P.S. If all goes well, I'll launch the podcast in October. P.P.S. 
I'm a 30-something entrepreneur making Disney princess references because that's how cool I am in real life. I didn't know that that day was slated to set in motion this incredible thing I'm doing right now. But here's where things get really interesting. Now that I have a podcast, I can share with you a conversation that I had with my mentor. Yes, in case you're wondering, he recorded our call because I want to document what it takes to choose fun over fear. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Before I share our conversation, allow me to introduce you to my mentor, James Wedmore. He hosts a mastermind that I am a part of, and he also has a really popular business podcast called Mind Your Business. Now, I had originally called James to ask him a question, but then one thing led to another, and then the conversation took a really weird turn. So let's take a listen. You know, like there's like the original OGs, like people who started podcasts before podcasting was officially cool. Yeah. Now I'm just like, I feel like I want to have a podcast in 2019, but it's just so nebulous. You know, it's like, I always go back to the things that I learned in like the first year of the mastermind. It's like, what's the promise? What does somebody get after listening to an episode? And I feel like the podcasts that are like the strongest for me are those that are extraordinarily linear and have clearly delineated like why somebody is listening to Mind Your Business podcast. You know, why somebody's listening to a different type of podcast. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. I don't want to have a podcast without having like a very clear trajectory. Dude, how can I give advice to Britt? that I can't even take myself, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. Got it. So sounds like the urge is there, but there's a part of you that doesn't want this to be like, I'm a trend follower. And there's a part of you that says, I don't know what the trajectory or the plan or the angle is yet. Yeah. Therefore, what? I'm not going to do it or not going to do it yet. What? What would it look like to launch a podcast like on my terms and in a way that I like with a very clear promise and a very clear direction. Okay. And so if you had the clear promise and it was on your terms, would there be any resistance left? No. So the urge tells me it's a feeling, right? Yeah. Like a nudge. Like it feels like a right next move. Now, is that accurate to say that it feels like a right next move? Yeah. Okay. So that's our to sound really cheesy for a moment, that's like our heart, right? That's yeah. like guidance. So all this other stuff that came after it, uh, I don't want to be like jumping on the podcasting bandwagon and I want it to be the certain way linear and blah, blah, blah. Is that coming from your heart and that guidance as well? No. No, it's coming from your head. Right. It's all that overthinking. So I could ask you some of these crazy, awesome, thought-provoking questions to give you answers to all your overthinking and all your overanalysis, or I could just remind you to listen to that urge more. Allow me to break here. I kind of just want to pop back in and let you know that in the middle of our conversation, I admitted to James that I wanted to have a podcast, but I didn't know what it would be about or what I would say or what the topics would be or why the heck anybody would listen. There was a point when I admitted that this idea, like the idea of the podcast, the thing I'm doing right now, it just didn't feel safe. Like, what would it mean for the business? How would it reflect on the brand? And then James stopped me and he said, since when has Jasmine Starr ever played it safe? So that's actually a really 
indicative look inside of my like personality. I like being a little bit scared a lot of the time. When I'm scared, it's just proof that I'm uncomfortable. And what I have learned over the years is that the best things grow in discomfort. That's the moment that I realized I had to do the podcast because it scared me. I didn't know how to do a podcast or what it would be about, but I knew I needed to do it anyway. I had to do it scared. So let's go back into the conversation to hear how James followed up to my realization. And we're going to just acknowledge that the only real resistance you have is that you want to do something and you don't know what it looks like yet. Yeah. I'm curious. Can you think of at least one time in your business career where you wanted to do something, but at the time you had the urge or the desire, you didn't exactly know what it would look like or how you would do it, yet eventually you found a way? Yeah. Tell me, what was one example? Uh, social theater. <laughs> oh, how'd that turn out for you? <laughs> Pretty freaking amazing, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this just the next game? Yeah. Isn't this just the next fun thing? It, wouldn't it be boring? Like, I gave this a metaphor on a call recently. You ever see a crappy movie and the reason why it was crappy was because you're like, that was like the most predictable movie ever. It was boring. I knew what was going to happen. I knew who the bad guy was the whole time. I knew who did it, right? We've all had that experience. Is that what you want in your life? Is that why you signed up to be an entrepreneur? Or is that why you still are an entrepreneur? You just want everything to be boring, predictable, safe, and the same. And I want it to always go exactly how I've planned it. I want to know every move for the next 10 years of my life. I mean, yeah, we think we want that because that gives us this illusion of like certainty, right? Safety, security, control. But that's all the stuff that's plain safe. And you said yourself, plain safe is this other podcast, which you don't want to do. That's not that urge is the part of you that wants to do something that pushes you. We're, we're here to discover what we're really made of, what we're capable of and how far we can take ourselves. And that, but that's the game. Like, that's the game. And especially in entrepreneurship. Here's a goal, and I'm less concerned. And this is the only thing I ever want to teach people, is it's less about the goal. The goal is the direction you go that will become the catalyst for who you need to become along the way. And your obsession becomes about who you need to become. Or what you need to unlearn or what you need to let go of or what you need to learn more of yourself or what you need to adapt. The game or the work will come down to, will you choose to feed the urge, feed that, that nudge, that feeling, that initial feeling and hold on to it and stay with it in faith, trust, knowing that clarity will come in time or will you be like everybody else who doesn't grow and says, well, I don't know how, so I can't, I won't forget it. It's over. Done. Never mind. That's the game. That's the choice we're making every single moment. And I, I'm clear, clear on one thing is that action creates clarity. But most people are sitting on the sidelines waiting for the clarity before they can take action. That is backwards. So friend, this is me starting my podcast, sitting in fear, and doing it anyway. But fear isn't a new thing in my life. Fear has always been a nemesis of a dance partner, someone that I have to like awkwardly tangle with for my entire life. I first understood the complexity of dancing with fear in 2005. 
Because in 2005, I was tired, I was stressed, and I was really overwhelmed. It was during this time that I had received a full academic scholarship to UCLA Law School in Los Angeles. Now, I'm a first-generation Latina. I'm a first-generation college graduate. My father immigrated from Mexico. My mother came from like the humid shores of Puerto Rico. Academics was so new in my family. So you could just imagine like the pride that not just my family, but the entire community, the entire barrio was like, Jasmine's going to law school. And so I felt the weight and responsibility that nobody put on me. I just put it on me. And I knew that by being at law school, it felt like a passport out from the hood. It felt like a ticket into a different economic stratosphere. So 2005, where I thought I had worked my entire life to get to this school, I looked around and I realized that I wasn't the only one who was tired, stressed, and overwhelmed. Everyone in their first year of law school was tired, stressed, and overwhelmed. So I just thought, well, maybe this is my life right now. It wasn't until I received a phone call from my dad during my first year of school, and he let me know that my mom had a relapse with brain cancer. She was diagnosed with brain cancer my junior year of college, and it was a really long, hard journey in battle. But she remained valiant. Every chemotherapy treatment, every brain surgery, every new drug, she was the first to try it. And everything that I have ever learned about strength and determination has come from my mom. So when the doctor said that her time had come, they had tried every chemo, they had tried every radiation, they had tried every brain surgery, that they were going to stop. And it was our time to plan her funeral. And I remember getting that call and just feeling the lowest that I had ever felt in my life. I remember falling and slipping into a depression because not only was I directionless in like school and the direction I wanted to take my life, I felt directionless at the prospect of losing my mom. And so I did what any person would do, (laughs) or maybe not any person. It was just, I just make these wild and unpredictable decisions and just say, this is what I'm doing come hell or high water. So I woke up one day fully expecting to go to law school. I had my bags packed. I boarded the bus. I lived in West Los Angeles on Veteran, right in beautiful Westwood on the border of Brentwood. If you know the area, you're just like, dang, girl, you have arrived. And I totally thought I did. But what is the point of arriving when you hate everything about the way that you spend your days? Either way, I had all my bags packed and I was walking into school when I decided to make a last minute detour into the dean's office. And I said, you know what? I have to go. I, I need to take a medical leave of absence because my mom has a relapse and whatever life she has left, I want to spend with her. And the dean said, we get it. You have three years to come back and reclaim your scholarship. And I said, I'll be back. I just need to be with her. And what I didn't mention about being on a full ride scholarship at UCLA is that it includes part of your campus housing. But if you're not a student on campus, you're no longer eligible for the housing. So I called my boyfriend at the time and I was like, hey, um, I just left law school. And he's like, great. Where do you want to get dinner? And I was like, no, I like left law school. And he's like, did you talk to anybody? It's like, no, I know I just need to be with my mom. And he did the kindest thing in this moment for me. He didn't ask any questions. He said, yeah, I'll drive over after work and I'll help you pack up. So he arrived 
and he drove a 1982 white beat up Ford Ranger. It's like a white truck. It was kind of white. It was like quasi white and it had a camper shell on it. I don't know if I should repeat that. The car my boyfriend drove had a camper shell on it. And as if that wasn't enough, it was lined with like mustard carpet. Okay. Like basically (laughs) this car was like, (laughs) it was like a girl repellent. And I just loved him. I loved him for his confidence of just rolling in wherever we were and being like, yep, this is my car. One of the things that really attracted to him was his confidence and his, him being a pillar of strength and support during really difficult times, which really showed true during this difficult time. So we packed up my studio apartment and we drove to the one place I knew the door would always be open and that was my parents' house. So there I was, 25 years old. I get home late at night and I walk upstairs and my mom is asleep in bed in her room, I will never forget, smelled like Pond's facial cream and eucalyptus. And I crawled in bed with her and I put my nose to the back of her neck and I took a big whiff in. And in that moment, I said to myself, you just made the best decision. So I climbed downstairs, went back into the bedroom I had stayed in in high school. I woke up the next morning and the sun was coming into the slatted window frames. And I looked up on the wall and there was a poster of NSYNC. And then I rolled over to my side and I saw a stack of yearbooks from high school. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. So it was like this big pendulum swing of I did the right thing to, oh my God, what did I just do? But it was fully grounded in the idea that I wanted my mom to see me marry my best friend. I met my husband, who's now my business partner, JD, when we were 17 years old in high school. And he was such a gentleman. He was so kind to my family. He went out of his way. And my mom knew that he was someone special. And I told JD, our plan was always to get married. But I told him, I'm like, I really want to finish law school. I really have a plan. And if we got married now, it would really ruin that plan. Well, that was until I got the bad news. And our family was just like, it's time. It's time for you to get married. It's time for mom to have something to look forward to. So I talked to JD and he worked his magic. He ended up proposing to me in Laguna Beach, California, and we had about three months to plan a wedding, and we knew that we were going to throw all convention out of the window. We were not going to have a bachelorette party. We didn't have a bridal shower. We didn't have an engagement party. We just said, hey, you, me, on a beach in Hawaii, you want to do it? And that's exactly what we did. And the doctor said that it wasn't advisable for my mom to travel. Like she, she, they said, she's not going to be able to walk and she's not going to be able to talk and she's not going to be fully present there for you. And we had these difficult conversations with my mom and she responded, so what's the worst that can happen? I could die. And that's my mom fully as in just like, let's go, let's have an adventure. So both our families, there was 20 of us, boarded a plane and there I got married to my best friend on the shores of Oahu, Hawaii. And it was the best day of my life because it was everybody I loved and everybody I cared about. And there I married my best friend and I promised my future to his and his future to mine. So we came back after our honeymoon. It was like we'd been home like maybe three weeks. And I get, I will never forget, it was a pink envelope on a pink sheet of paper. And it said it was time for me to declare to go back to UCLA and reclaim my scholarship to pick up where I left off. And there we were in this really, really shady neighborhood in the outskirts of Los Angeles 
And it was a neighborhood that I would maybe say was like ripe. You know, it's not the neighborhood you would walk around at night. Um, It was not the neighborhood that you would leave your car unlocked or like your front door open. And I remember sitting at this tiny circular table and I had just made pasta. It was Mediterranean pasta. I had feta cheese in it and Kalmata olives. It was just like this new adventure. So me as a new wife in the kitchen was Mm, a lot to be desired. But there I was over Mediterranean pasta and I looked across my husband and I just started to cry. And I said, I don't want to go back. And he asked me a question that forever changed the trajectory of my life. He said, if you can do one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I said, I think I want to be a photographer. And he paused and he was like, okay, but um, you don't even own a camera. I was like, I know, but like, if I had a camera, I really think I could be a photographer. And I think that anybody else hearing that story would be like, girl, you're tripping. Like they would pat me on the head and say, bless your heart, get back to law school. But he didn't. He just said, okay. And December 2005, I unwrapped my very first digital camera. It was really simple. But the thing that I knew was that 2005 was a really hard year. 2005, I dropped out of law school. 2005, I didn't have a job. 2005, I thought I was going to bury my mom. 2005 was the end of so many things in my life. And so when I opened my camera on Christmas 2005, I said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until January 1st, 2006, because it's a new year. It's a new chapter and it's a new opportunity for me to do something. So I talked to my husband and he said, hey, why don't you just try this photography thing for a year? And if it doesn't work out, then you can go back and get your law school scholarship. And I was like, that seems really fair. So I took a part-time job. I got my camera and I took my camera everywhere. And I was terrible. Like, I don't even know how to properly explain like how bad I was. But here's like a real life example. My dad is a pastor for a church in East Los Angeles, California. And when I got my camera, I started walking around the church asking people if I could take their pictures for free. And everybody said no. Like, that's how bad I was. And it's just like, dang, I got to be real bad if members of my daddy's congregation are like, Oh, poor thing. Like, uh, no, we'll pray for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how bad I was. But I enrolled in the University of Google and I taught myself everything I could possibly learn about photography. And I read my owner's manual and I kept on showing up in spite of the odds stacked against me. And if you could believe 2006 was when I first started working with a camera and 2007 is when I felt like I had an opportunity to start my business. And by 2009, I was voted one of the top 10 photographers in the world. By 2010, I was voted one of the most influential photographers in the world. And by 2012, I was voted one of the top 10 most socially influential photographers. And this is the point of the story where people are like, what? What? How did that happen? Because people will sit here and they'll say, well, you were like unqualified. And to which I respond, I know I was unqualified. I was unqualified. I was uneducated. I was unfunded. I was unconnected. I was un all the things you could imagine. And yet it worked. Which is why I've come to believe that when people tell me their wild and crazy audacious dream, where people say it's absolutely crazy that I would even think 
that I could do this. I don't look at them and say, well, you know what? Have a business plan, go to school, ask for funding. It's completely the opposite. I look at that person and I say, I believe. I believe because if a girl from the hood with no education, no money, no resources could find a way to start a business knowing nothing and finding her place in the world, I believe it's possible for anyone. For over a decade, I've realized that my passion led to my business and my business led to my purpose. And my purpose is to empower people to believe that impossibilities are actually possibilities in your life if you're willing to do the hard work. If you're willing to remain dedicated and if you're willing to move past fear and doubt, I am making the bold and irrevocable declaration today that while I don't have the answers and I'm not really sure what this podcast is going to turn into, I can say that each episode will empower me to stand in my purpose. I will show up each week sharing my experiences to help you interview industry peers to talk candidly about their ability to continue pursuing their passion and their purpose, even when things aren't working their way. I'm going to be coaching business owners past their fear. And I don't know, who knows, maybe I'll even bring on my closest friends and family to keep me on my toes and give insights into what made me the person I am today to give you insights and how you can shape yourself into being who you want to be tomorrow. The future is a blank canvas and I am willing to start painting y'all. But the real question is, will you paint on the canvas of your future? Now, I know that sounds like all like Hallmarky, right? It's like a Hallmark Christmas special. I'm gonna ask introspective questions, but I'm real. I'm ready and waiting to push you on. So let me know if you want to join me and be a little scared a lot of the time. I'd love to know who you are. Uh, Leave a comment on my Instagram or Facebook podcast post letting me know who you are. I'm really excited to get to know you better. You can find me at Jasmine Star. Better yet, if you would like to leave a review for this podcast, you would make me cry butterfly wings and unicorn rainbows and I'll do a little twirl and I'll just wear a crown because that's how much it would mean to me. To be honest, your review would mean the world to me and I promise to read each one. Thank you for being here. I cannot wait to pursue our passions and our purpose together.